This morning, I get to start a conversation that I'm, I'm really excited about. Uh, we are starting a series that we are calling Summer Rules. Um, again, you can punctuate that however you want, and it's going to apply. And uh, I mean, a number of us are going to team teach through the Old Testament 10 Commandments. And uh, man, I'm looking forward to this. Um, before we even get into this, though, I'm so curious to kind of get a sense of um, your relationship with the Ten Commandments as it currently stands. And so I'm going to ask you to do that awkward thing and talk to the person next to you or the people around you, however many people you want to talk to. This is going to take us less than a minute. I'm going to ask three questions. Curious for you to answer them. Most of them are yes, no, as simple as pop quizzes get. All right, question number one. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Tell the person next to you, yes, no, yes, kind of, I think so. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay. Uh, question number two, can you list the Ten Commandments from memory? No judgment. They don't have to be in their entirety. Uh, there is joy in the house of the Lord, but I hope there's also honesty. So just keep it real. Can you list them? Uh, and yeah, the third question, uh, when you hear Ten Commandments, you think about the Ten Commandments, what's your response emotionally? Like positive, negative, neutral. Tell somebody, how do you feel about these here uh, commandments? That's assuming you know something um, about them. Um, Oh, I can't wait. I wish I could eavesdrop on all of your conversations and get a sense of uh, where you all are um, in relationship to these uh, 10 commandments. Uh, well, this morning we are going to start by way of getting introduced to uh, the 10 commandments. We are going to get some take some time to just kind of get to know the background and the setting for these 10 commandments um, a little bit. And so uh, I, I hope you came ready uh, to engage because today's going to be a little bit more of a teaching um, type of message. I wore my teaching socks. Um, I, somebody after the first service like definitely did not wear your teaching pads. Those would not work. I'm like, well, you don't know. Like cool teacher, maybe. But nonetheless, uh, I would encourage you and challenge you uh, to do uh, a number of things. Number one, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at the first three verses in that chapter as we get introduced to the Ten Commandments and we look at the first of the commandments. But I would encourage you, read, read the first 21 verses of Exodus chapter 20 at least once a week during the course of this series. It will take you no time at all. 21 verses at least once a week throughout the course of this series. Um, number two is I would encourage you to um, memorize the Ten Commandments. And I'm not suggesting again in their entirety. Um, I'm saying just a, a phrase that describes each of the Ten Commandments. And that might sound daunting and overwhelming to you, but you'd be surprised as you read these over the course of the next number of weeks how simple that will be for you. And then number three is I would say just plan to take notes. 
um, starting today, whether you write notes physically, you know, in a journal or in a diary or whether you type notes in a PDA or whatever, you know, on your phone, whatever the case might be, I'd encourage you to take notes so you can go back and look over things and, and continue to sit with what it is that we are learning together. My hope is uh, by the end of this series, we will all have heard of the Ten Commandments uh, and that we will be able to recite them from memory, even if it's just a phrase from each one. And most importantly, my hope is by the end of this series, we will love these commandments. I know that sounds like a lot, sounds like a tall order, but why aim low? And I'm convinced this will be true by the end of our conversation. Okay, like I said, uh, this morning is going to be a little bit of teaching and background and context in order for us to understand these Ten Commandments, which were given thousands of years ago in a culture thousands of miles removed from us. We want to just talk about what was happening in and around Exodus chapter 20. Okay. Um, about 2,000 years before Jesus Christ stepped onto the scene, uh, God, in his brilliant wisdom, he, um, he put into play his cosmic master plan, and it was brilliant. And God's plan was really simple, to make his glory and goodness known to the entire world. Because when you roll with that much glory and that much goodness, you want people to know. Um, and the way he planned to carry that out was by um, calling to himself, by choosing a group of people, uh, unsophisticated, unimpressive, an undaunting group of people. And these people were called the what? Israelites. They were called the Israelites. And it mattered to God that they were unimpressive and that they were, you know, unsophisticated and that they were undaunting so that when God said and did great things in and through them, it would be obvious to all of the nations around them, their God must be good, their God must be great. Maybe we should consider worshiping him as well. I don't know why Siri's talking to me. But maybe we should worship that God as well. Um, well, through a series of very unfortunate events, the nation of Israel ends up in the global superpower nation of Egypt living as their captive slaves. And for 400 years, they are brutalized and they are abused. They are forced to carry out this unbelievably gruesome labor, building their massive pyramids and monuments and their fancy streets while getting whipped and being fed scraps for 400 years, y'all, it was brutal. And by the way, to give you a little bit of perspective, the United States of America is 247 years old. Will not turn 400 till the year 2176. 400 years. Eventually, generation after generation after generation, suffering through this, they end up crying out to the sky. The chains become too much. The pain becomes too much. They cry out to the sky. And the God of the universe who had chosen them, he hears their cry. He is moved with compassion. And then he comes after them. 
He re-engages his covenant with them and he comes after them to deliver them, to set them free. And God does it in style. He raises up a guy named Moses. And he sends Moses to go to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and to demand that he let God's people, the Israelites, go. Pharaoh hears this and he's like, yeah, that's a strong no from me, dog, right? And then when God hears this, he goes into full God flex mode and he does some incredible things. In fact, God sends a series of 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt to convince the king of Egypt to let his people go. But after each plague, Pharaoh's like, yeah, I appreciate that, but I'm not letting the people go. He insists on defying God's order to release his people into freedom until the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborn. And when Pharaoh sees the firstborn son in all of Egypt die, he is broken. And he decides, I am releasing these people. He unshackles the Israelites and he sends two million plus of them marching out of Egypt and into freedom for the first time in 400 years. Not too long after he releases the Israelites, uh, he experiences a little bit of, um, shall we say, emancipator's remorse. And he's like, "Mm, mm, this is not going to work for me. And so he rallies his entire army and he goes after the nation of Israel. And when he catches up to them, they are standing stuck, staring at a massive body of water called the Red Sea with no way of getting across. While Pharaoh and his army are closing in behind them. And it's in that moment of stuckness and desperation, God shows up. Moses puts his wooden stick in the water. And the moment he does, y'all, one of the coolest miracles in the whole Bible, the sea literally splits. And two million Israelites walk across the bottom of the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on this side and a wall of water on that side. And I can imagine they're freaking out, talking about no, no way. The the Egyptians see them do this and they're like, well, if they can cross, we can cross too. And God's like, no way. And he closes the water on the Egyptians, Pharaoh and his army, and he drowns them while the Israelites watch this whole thing happening. So Moses becomes a little bit of a hero, and he starts to lead the people of Israel towards a country that God has promised he will give the Israelites as theirs. You all have lived as slaves for generations and generations and generations. I promise I'm going to give you a country that is going to be yours. No chains, no slave owners, just freedom. When we join the story in Exodus chapter 20, the Israelites are about two months out of Egypt, and they are camped at the bottom of a mountain called Sinai. And while they're camped at the bottom of the mountain, God calls Moses to come up to the top of the mountain. And when Moses gets to the top of the mountain, woo, God comes down and he meets with Moses and he talks with him for about 40 days. And while they're having the conversation, the Israelites at the bottom of the mountain, they can hear the conversation. They can hear the sound of God and Moses having this chat. But to them, the voice of God just sounds like thunder. And it sounds like trumpets. They can't quite make out what is being said. And they can see the presence of God on the top of the mountain, but the presence of God just looks like 
fire and smoke. And oh, they can feel the presence of God as the mountain trembles under the weight of the glory of God while he is up there having a conversation with Moses. And it is up there while God is talking to Moses that he gives him the ten commandments. The ten rules. The ten signposts. The ten guardrails designed to keep his people on the path towards freedom. Ten rules. Ten commandments. Um, This is pretty incredible. This moment that is happening on the top of the mountain. Y'all are free. And this will be important for us to understand in context. Y'all are free. But if you are going to enjoy what it looks like and means to live in freedom then you're going to want to follow these 10 rules and they will serve as signposts leading you and they will serve as guardrails keeping you on the path to freedom. The 10 commandments. By the way, these 10 rules were so important to God and we'll talk about this in future weeks. It was so beautiful what God did. It was so important to God for his people that he inscribed the 10 commandments with his own finger on two massive tablets of stone. I can't imagine being Moses and watching this. He had to have been freaking out while God was writing. God writes cursive. And he's a lefty, right? Um, And it's at the end of this that Moses carries these two stones down and he delivers them to the people. Well, um, full disclosure, the first time he does it, he gets so mad he breaks those suckers. And then he has to go back up a second time and God has to write again. And then he brings them down and he delivers them to the people. And this is what God tells Moses in that little rumbling trumpet thundering conversation. Exodus chapter 20 verse 1. This is so cool. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. <laughs> How amazing is that? I'll be amazed all by myself. And I'm okay with that. That is so cool. I'm not even kidding you. Nor am I exaggerating. When I say I have never read the Ten Commandments in their context. Which means... I have never heard the Ten Commandments in their appropriate tone. I'm just saying, full of disclosure, I have never read the Ten Commandments in their appropriate context until this past week. 
And it blew my mind. Um, because I realized that all of these many, many years of my existence on earth and in the context of the church, I had missed the heart of the Ten Commandments just like most of y'all. I'm dragging you all along with me. And in fact, I can prove it to most of you by asking the simple question. Um, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, be honest, feel free to close your eyes. What expression do you picture on God's face? <laughs> All my life, I'm he mad. Ooh, he big mad. Oh, he is throwing down the gauntlet and he is laying down some threats and God is super angry just looking for someone to restrict and someone to kill. Ooh, God mad. How I read this story. See, because he's still the angry Old Testament God of the law. He hasn't yet gone to therapy and worked out his stuff to morph into the very happy New Testament God of love. So when he gives these commands, ooh, he mad. I missed the entire context. And then I read verse number two and I'm like, wait a minute. The Ten Commandments start with grace. The Ten Laws start with love. How have I missed that? God sets up this whole conversation by saying to Moses, let's reminisce together. He says to Moses, remember? Like that's how the conversation starts. Like, remember? Um, I want you to remember who's talking to you, Moses. And then when you go and tell the people what I've said, I want them to remember who's talking to y'all. Remember? Remember how you were all helplessly oppressed as slaves in Egypt? Remember? Remember how I saw you. Remember how I loved you. Remember how my heart broke for you. And remember how I came after you to destroy your chains. Remember? I did that. Because I am the Lord, your God. When no one else thought about your brokenness or your hurt, I came and I broke your chains. Remember? That's how this whole thing starts. The same feeling that was in my heart when I sent the ten plagues to deliver you. Same feeling in my heart as I give you the ten rules to keep you free. Same feeling in my heart. The commandments start with a call to remember your salvation from slavery. 
whenever you think about these commandments, Moses, whenever you all think about these commandments, I want you to remember, I am the God who saw you and loved you because you were mine and I came after you and I destroyed your enemy and I crushed your chains so that I can send you out into freedom. Remember? Same God, same heart, same expression. Be honest. If you're like me, you have read these commandments and, and we almost act like, I see what God did. God was, uh, God didn't like that Pharaoh was their slave master. So um, God set them free so that he could be their new slave master and make them miserable himself. Think about this. It's illogical, by the way. God broke them out of slavery so that he could imprison and restrict them. What? I broke you out of slavery so you could live free. Same God. Same agenda. These are not the new rules of your new slavery. No, this is a manual for your freedom. Because if you don't embrace these these rules, these guardrails, you may live in a land of freedom, but you will never enjoy being free. I'm just saying, before we go any further in this conversation, we've got to fix the tone. Myself and um, my wife and my two older teens, we went out to dinner last week. And uh, the purpose of the dinner was to establish some summer rules. Um, I didn't ask the permission to tell this story, which is why they're probably smiling right now. Not. But um, it's, we just wanted to talk about what does this summer look like? And man, what are some principles that should govern the way this summer works um, because they're teenagers now and uh, one of them even just finished first year of college came home and may feel like an adult right like I get to decide so we just wanted to have this conversation and a true story they'll testify to this my wife and I we started the conversation by making the declaration we want you guys to have the best summer ever Now, I am not telling you how they experienced the conversation. I'm not telling you how they experienced the rules or the guardrails. I'm not telling you any of that. But what I am telling you is for my wife and I, we were not sitting in that conversation to put restrictions on them so their lives would be miserable. We were trying to figure out what is the best we can do to set you on a path to joy and freedom so y'all can have the best summer ever and use it as a ramp and just fly. And we are broken, messed up parents. And yet when I read God making the rules for his kids that he delivered, I'm like, hmm, I see what you're doing. And I'm just telling y'all, we are going to fall in love with the Ten Commandments, but first we've got to fix the tone and remember the heart of the God who's giving these rules to his people. Not as a means of restricting them, but because he's saying, I want y'all to have the best life ever. And here are the guardrails. Here are the signposts that will lead you in that direction. I'm like, "Mm." 
That's not how I ever understood these before. This is beautiful. And I know this is church speak right now, but Exodus chapter 20 is just the Old Testament version of Romans chapter 12. In view of God's mercy. Because remember what Jesus did on the bloody cross when his body was split for your freedom. Remember? Remember what Jesus did in the empty tomb when the same stone that was rolled away to let your go free rolled over his enemies and crushed sin and death for your sake? Remember? Well, in view of his mercy, offer your bodies in obedience to him so you can restrict us. No, because then you'll be able to discover the heart of God and his desire for you to know his will is good, pleasing, and perfect path for your life. The Ten Commandments are a beautiful invitation to respond to the God who broke them out of slavery and set them free. And it was for freedom that he set them free. So that they would no longer be bound by the yokes of slavery. And the invitation is to offer their lives in obedience to him so they can discover the path that leads to joy and freedom. And then God gives freedom rule number one. If you want to live in freedom, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Man. Rule number one. Let's rephrase it. No one, and you can add nothing, gets more allegiance, affection, or authority in your life than I do. Love God. I will have no rivals as God in your world. I stand apart. I stand alone. I get the first and I get the final say. What I say wins over what anyone or anyone else says. What I want wins over what anyone or anything else wants. I Alone am the Lord, your God. If anything else in your life gets more affection or allegiance or authority than I do, number one, you will be sinning against me. And number two, you will be moving in a direction towards slavery. That is not the way to go. You will have no other God before me. I will be supreme. I will be preeminent in your life. Rule number 
one. Now, in our cultural context, this might even make us bristle a little bit. What kind of a self-involved, narcissistic God would demand this kind of exclusive allegiance? This is my problem with religion. This is my problem with Christianity. But to the Israelites, <laughs> listening to these commandments and hearing rule number one, this would have made all the sense in the world on account of the fact that all they needed to do was simply remember. Reminisce a little bit. Which is what makes it so incredible the way the Ten Commandments start. Which makes it so important that we do the work of understanding some of the context and some of the heart behind these Ten Commandments. Because God says, remember, remember what? I want you to remember what you saw with your own eyes. And ask yourself... Is there any other God like me? Ask yourselves. Is there any other God who deserves greater allegiance or affection or authority in your life than I do? Just remember. In the midst of your darkest despair, in the midst of your darkest distress, who was the only God who cared enough to come after you? Who was the only God who was capable enough to destroy your enemies and set you free? If that God exists, let that God raise their arm. Oh, it's just me. Because remember who I am and what I did in full view of every single one of you. Remember when you stood stuck at the edge of the water with your enemy closing in. What other God was great enough to cause the sea to split? What other God was great enough to deliver you through these waters and then destroy your enemies with the same waters while you all watched. Remember? If that God exists, let that God please stand up. Oh, it's only me? If that's true, Israel, who else should I encourage you to give you allegiance to if there is no one like me? This would have made complete sense to the Israelites. If there is allegiance and affection and authority to be given, who else should it be given to? Man, this is not so much about what God demands as much as it is about what God deserves. And God would say to them, and he would say the same thing to us. If you know another God who has done what you saw me do, worship that God. Otherwise, get out of my lobby. I will have no rivals. 
Remember? When the Israelites are hearing this, by the way, I mean, just think about this. The mountain is still smoking and smoldering from the presence of God. It is still hot to the touch, except don't touch. Oh man, but it's better than this. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that um, God did some pretty amazing things to deliver his people. Um, Quick quiz. Does anyone know how many plagues God sent on the nation of Egypt to deliver his people into freedom? How many? Ten. So good. Does anyone know why not eight? Why not 12? I'll tell you. Because Egypt was a polytheistic nation. Polytheistic nation just means that they endorsed the worship of multiple gods. Oh, and by multiple gods, I mean the nation of Egypt worshipped 10 primary gods. <laughs> when God sends the plagues, he sends one that corresponded to each of their 10 gods. It wasn't just random. God was systematically dismantling and discrediting the 10 gods of Egypt as he sent those plagues. And the nation of Israel watched every single one of those gods go down. This is so powerful. I've always thought that the plagues were sent to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go out into freedom. Now I wonder if those plagues weren't sent primarily to, to, to help God's people. Walk away from the ten gods of Egypt. I wonder if God wasn't sending these plagues to convince his people to let go of the ten gods. Because every single person listening to Moses had been born and raised in Egypt. All they had known all their lives was polytheism. The worship of many gods. And you better believe for many of them they have become convinced that these gods must be great. Because this is the greatest nation of the planet. Plus they're enslaving us. So it's obviously working out for them. So how beautiful is it what God does when he wants to deliver his people out of Egypt? He dismantles all ten of their gods to establish. I'm the God. I'm not just telling you to worship me above every other God because I'm crabby. I'm telling you to worship me above every other God because I'm worthy. There is no one who rolls in my league. Because how did their gods do against me? I mean, we faced off. You all saw it. 
How did that work out for them? Remember? This isn't God just saying randomly, just I'm the best and everybody should remember. The sea couldn't stand against me. Their frog God couldn't stand against me. Their God of water, blood, none of them could stand against me. I'm just telling you, and on top of this, I love you all so much. And how unloving would it be for me to point you in the direction of a lesser God when I'm greater than all of them? None of those gods can deliver you into freedom. And none of those gods can deliver freedom to you. Just me. I'm telling you to put the weight of your world on me and I alone can carry it and carry you to all of the places you must go. So you have no other God before me. It sounds narcissistic until you do the math. If God really loves you, who else should he recommend that you do this with? A lesser God that he can flick with a plague? That wouldn't make sense. God, why would you send us to them? If you love us, won't you send us to the best and greatest and most dependable and strongest? Yes, that's why I'm saying allegiance, affection, authority. Put it on me. I love you and I got you. How will those gods provide and protect you If they can't survive a plague. So. What do you think? Does this command still apply to us? Today. I would say. Same math. Same gauntlet drop. If you can find. A God greater than the God of the Bible. Please pledge allegiance to that God. If you can find a God who can deliver you from your sin. If you can find a God who cares enough about your brokenness and your plight. To send his own son to come and deliver you. If you can find a God who can flick death aside. And bring life. Let's start a church for that God. Let's build our lives on that God. But if it's just the God of the Bible, then this command applies to us, y'all. No one, we'll put this up on the screen again, nothing should get more allegiance, affection, authority in our lives. Than he does. If you have any interest in living in fullness or freedom. Don't make anything in your life more important than the God of the Bible. It's not strong enough to deliver you. And it's not strong enough to deliver freedom. For you. This is so important for us to wrestle with because just like the Israelites, most of us have been born and raised in a polytheistic culture. Welcome to America. A culture that has normalized the worship of many 
gods. Money, because you've got to make money. You've, you've got to have a retirement. Because if you retire with no money, who are you? Is there even any possibility of your survival? So you got to crown money God and live for it. If not that, we've worshipped at the altar of the God of politics. Or the American dream. And you know this because all of our lives, different people have told us this is the most important thing. If you're going to live with freedom, and if you're going to live with security, then you've got to have this in your closet tucked away. That's your freedom. If you're going to live for, with joy, then you, you've got to make sure that you get married and you have a family. And then you've got to make sure that your family is the most important thing in your life and that your calendar and your agenda and your schedule is family first. I'm just telling you that's polytheism. That is putting other things on the throne and we've all actually become okay with it. We'll say this thing first in my life. Yeah, that's, I, I, yeah that's, that's a good one. If it's not God, it's not a good one. It cannot carry you. It cannot sustain you. And it is not deserving of your worship. And what's super cool is that for the first time in decades... This command is not too difficult for us to embrace, even in the most powerful and wealthy country on the planet. Because, remember? Remember how so many of us started to make politics the God to worship, believing that this right candidate is the one who's going to protect our rights and is going to, to, to fight for our freedom and is going to deliver us joy. Remember? Remember how so many of us started to worship the, the God of the economy and the nest egg and, and the retirement. And I'm just saying, I don't know if you were around, but three years ago, one plague. One plague systematically dismantled our gods. One pandemic. And the wealthiest nation on the earth was freaking out about toilet paper shortages. I'm just asking you how strong is the God of economy. And God systematically proved it cannot hold you. One plague and four weeks later, y'all are panicking and everybody is freaking out. No, it's the God of beauty. Remember how like for a year we didn't even remember what you looked like? It's family. And there are family members you are still not speaking to over a mask. It's not, God is like, sometimes I will allow crises and plagues just to dismantle your false gods in front of your eyes. 
or it was our kids' sports, and then something happened. And we realized we cannot build our lives on that. It was pleasure, and then something happened. And we realized we cannot build our lives on that. It was church. And God is like, oh no, I will not compete with the church. Church is the most important thing. Oh no, it's not. Y'all are going to meet at home for a minute. The question is, does anyone or anything get more allegiance, affection, or authority in your life? Are you depending on something other than God? To deliver freedom, to deliver joy, to protect and provide. Because that's the thing you are going to worship as your God. And God says, I will have no rivals. I'm not going to compete. And the scary thing is at times when we insist on it, God says, okay, have that God. And see how it treats you. Until eventually we realize I am shackled in, in chains and God, please would you deliver me. And in his grace, God says, yep, I remember the commitment I made to you. I'm coming after you. Like only I can. Here's three quick recommendations. Number one, ask. Ask. I'm going to give you a few moments before the team leads us in a song. Just ask. It is really difficult for us to at times realize the ways that we are enthroning other things as God in our lives. But the Spirit is so gracious. He will reveal those things to you if you're truly willing to live in light of the first commandment of freedom. So, here's a simple prayer. Spirit, search me and show me anything I've put in God's place. I'm going to give you a moment to do that here. And he will, if, if you're open to it. Second thing I would encourage is confess. And here's a simple confession. I have made something else greater than you. God. Please forgive me. It's not okay just to recognize it. I've got to declare, God, you are God and everything else is not. And I'm sorry for the ways that I've made other things God. And if you ask him to forgive you, he will do it on account of Jesus Christ, who got all the commands perfect for our sake. But we've got to be willing to acknowledge this. And you know as well as I do, this is not like, and I did it once and that was it. No, it's something we have to do over and over and over again. Just like what's true for the Israelites. They're like, yes, God, we accept what you're saying. And then a couple of weeks later, they're like, Egypt was better. We want to go back to our chains. It's how we function. And the Spirit needs to continue to bring us back to this place of confessing. No, all other gods are wrong. You are the only one, forgive me and bring me back. And then the last thing I would say is repent. I think at times we're willing to acknowledge, you're right, my bad. 
my bad. And then just keep doing it. No, repent means I'm now trying to figure out how do I break from doing the thing that I've made more than God. Maybe it's permanent break or maybe it is a temporary break. But repentance means I want to be, I want to dethrone and maybe dismantle some of these gods. For some of us, we should not have a streaming service. Because that has become God. And you can say, I'm going to take uh, two hours off. Like, no. And then you run back to it. End of the day, this is what you live for. This is what you make space for. For some of us, it is, it's, 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 it's money. And so my job, this is why I work 80 hours a week. And for some of you, repentance means I'm going to get a new job. And it's going to be 45 hours a week and I'm freaking out because I don't know what that's going to do to my financial goals. But it will certainly dismantle this God in my life. And I don't want to sound too threatening. God loves you too much to let you continue to enthrone another God. Better for me to repent than for him to start doing the dismantling. And for some of us, it may be that. For some of us, again, it is like, yeah, the dating apps are staying off my phone. Or the social media app is staying off my phone because I cannot not just keep coming back to it. I haven't thought about what God wants for a hot minute, but man, I am on my social media like it is going to deliver joy and freedom and affirmation to me. And for some of you, the Spirit will tell you, you need to let that go. Start with a month and then see how it goes from there dethrone it we are so polytheistic in the church because what we'll say is no I won't dethrone this God I'll just keep this God and this God and this God and this God and God is like I don't play polytheism and for some of us there are things we are going to hear the spirit say you need to break from that it may be a relationship And I'm talking about a relationship of convenience, not a relationship of covenant. So slow down. That's right. My spouse gets on my last nerve. So not that. Question is, are we willing? I promise you, the path to freedom begins with a dethroning of all other gods. If you try and play it safe and you try and have God and something else, You will continue to live with shackles, with glimpses of okay, with glimpses of joy, but not the joy you were designed for. Ask, confess, repent. Kyle, let's give uh, folks 30 seconds. Just take some time. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you a moment just to, to sit with these questions and ask the spirit to move and speak. And I trust he will. And then we'll sing together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring enough to give us guardrails to joy and peace and freedom. Help us to want to walk in your ways and to live in your joy. And even now in this place, Spirit, reveal to us the things that we've placed in God's place. Give us the courage to dethrone and dismantle all of those things and believe that if you really are God, you will provide for us. You will supply 
what we need. So we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.